chocolate is a happy flavor. It's America's favorite. There are probably hundreds, maybe thousands of different ways we can enjoy chocolate. Have you ever heard of Chocolate City? When I was a kid, D.C. was always introduced the same way. Washington, D.C., Chocolate City. Chocolate City was the home of Go-Go, Chuck Brown, Howard University, and Howard Theater, U Street, and the largest black population for any American city. When I moved here to attend Howard University in 2007, I started to notice that the chocolate in Chocolate City wasn't the same. Some called it urbanization, and others called it gentrification. With so many changes in our city happening so rapidly, the creatives who molded the culture were buried amidst the dust of construction. And for a while, it seemed like we had lost the touch of our flavor. But over the last two years, I have watched, supported, and provided opportunities for countless black creatives in the city. And I can confidently say that the renaissance of Chocolate City is here. With that being said, I want to welcome you to my new podcast called Cocoa Powder, The Makings of Chocolate City. Each episode will feature the creatives who are currently molding the culture of D.C., from art to business to philanthropy to music. Join us each week as we talk to D.C.'s finest creatives to understand who they are, where they're going, and how Chocolate City still inspires them. I'm a happy sometimes. I'm blue. Thank you for joining the Cocoa Powder Podcast. This episode, we will be focusing on an influential artist in D.C. and a very good friend of mine, Mr. Micah Robinson. Who is Micah Robinson, you say? In today's world of formulas and followers, he is genuinely something new. As a singer, he is a rare combination of polish and passion. As a writer, he maintains a pleasant simplicity that somehow still reconnects you with your deepest thoughts. As an artist, he represents a style that is fresh and forward while still carrying a vintage flair and familiarity that makes you feel like you've been listening to him for years. He is more than any single statement can say. Michael Robinson is an experience and a name you want to know. So without further ado, here's my interview with Michael Robinson. We'll see you on the other side with a special unplugged performance. So stay tuned to the end of the episode. There's no shrimp here, but we can pretend. Yo, you want the shrimp? What's up with your thing with shrimp, man? Man, what's wild is I don't even like shrimp that much. I don't know what it is. But something about there being shrimp at an event <laughs> makes it feel... Classy? Makes it feel special <laughs> somehow. I don't know. Yo, what's your history with, like, debutantes and gay lists? 
I've been I've been to a bunch of them. I can a, tell a whole lot of them. Yeah. Debutante kid, the debutante kid. I can tell. Yeah, yeah. I can tell. You've done some waltzes. Oh man, you've done some five trots. I've okay. been to a lot of it. Yeah, grew up, you know, doing a lot of them joints, man, as gigs and stuff. Mainly, actually, I wasn't in like Jack and Jill or nothing word? like that. No, no. I just, see, I wasn't. Uh, they never trusted your boy to be the musician. So uh, I sound good on I sound good on paper. So I'm like a seven-time debutante escort. Yeah, man. Two different states, too. So it's not like, you know. Height probably helps, too. Yeah. (laughs) I'm short. So quite frankly. I've never called you short. I'm not the first choice for uh, debutante uh, pictures. Yes, the tallest, the skinniest, the dark-skinned thing. It's the fact that my mama could afford to to rent a suit or rent a tux because I had suits on deck. Me, too. Yeah, I had suits. I had a linen suit. Me one, too. One real nice linen suit that yeah. <laughs> my father moms? bought me. Oh, your father, father bought that for me. you? My father bought me that from, from Nordstrom, man. I, I didn't want it, actually. At the time, uh, the compromise was at the same time he bought me a linen suit, uh, I was pushing real hard for this, like, like, like pastel blue really? suit. Yeah, man. It was this pastel blue double-breasted joint. That I was pushing for hard, and my father was like, "Man, that's ugly, man. Oh. I'm gonna get you this other one, this linen thing. It's real nice. It's, you know, it's real slick. <laughs> that's my father already like stay slick. He was like, it's real slick, you know. And uh, well, no, it, the compromise was. Um, I don't really know how he did it because we really didn't have very much money, but he bought both. <clears throat> and uh, I wore one one year, and yeah. The other one uh, at some other holiday a few months later. Yeah, yeah. Where were the debutante balls and and performances like that back in the day? Uh, man, I did a lot of gigs at like Martin's Crosswinds. Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of stuff at the hotels around the city, like the uh, what's that? That I think it's a Marriott up on Woodley Street somewhere like that. I can't remember the name of it. Okay. Wood Wood. No, let me not even make up nothing because you can call it Wardman Park. Wardman Park. Park, I think it's called Wardman Park Marriott, something like that. It's just all a whole bunch of, whole bunch of places. National Press Club, just stuff. And then I used to, uh, you know, Howard reference that those always work. I I used to uh, freshman year because I was didn't have no money, and um, right. But I I like fancy food. Right. Right. So. One day I accidentally walked into some sort of meeting. You know, Howard would have catering for any reason. It sure would. Just it sure would. I always so, wanted to start like a Twitter account that says where the free food were. <laughs> where the free food was. So here's that the thing. That's actually what I used to do. Freshman year, I lived in Drew. Right. And I accidentally one time after doing an Afro Blue gig, so I was dressed for the Afro Blue gig. Yeah, yeah. Accidentally um, wandered into the art gallery in Blackburn, Mm -hmm. I was going there because I left my phone or something like Mm -hmm. that. And there was some event happening. It was kind of wrapping up, though. A bunch of people standing around, you know, suits, dresses, real after five kind of thing. Yeah. And they had shrimp. And they had that, like, they had that, like, pink, that kind of sort of pink, orangey punch, that little, like, tampico kind of thing. Absolutely. Uh, they had that. They had the Otis Spunkmeyer cookies, the vegetable trays. Yes. Oh, the, and the, those damn cookies. Yeah. And, the, and the little small chicken, small chicken wings. Yep. The flats only. That sounded like a Howard special right there. Yeah, it was, you know. What and do you I, do with the drumsticks? I don't know, man. 
I think they I think they grind them up, combine them, and sell them on Soul Food Thursday. Not level. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, man, I, I don't. But yeah, I used to. Uh, I wandered in that joint, and uh, somebody like one of the the waitresses or you know people that were just kind of walking around with trays of stuff yeah. walks up to me. I, I'm not part of the event. She don't know though. Yeah. So she walks up to me with a tray and hands me. You know, shrimp and wings and everything. And I, I was like, oh, thanks. Right, right. And once I figured out that was possible, I started doing it on purpose. Yeah. Since I lived in Drew anyway, I would literally just run back to my room, put a suit on. Come back. And just walk in Blackburn. Yeah. Just walk around, eat free stuff, including shrimp. A lot of, right. a lot of cocktail shrimp. Yeah. What was it like being a Washingtonian at Howard? Ooh. Being being a Washingtonian at Howard was a very bittersweet experience. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, um, a lot of Washingtonians get kind of a bad rap right. at Howard. Just you know, they like to call us locals, and that is not a term of endearment. No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> it's it's uh, oh, my something usually reserved for right. kind of stereotyping people into being. Dirty and lazy and right, right, dumb and really just otherwise someone that doesn't belong, um, which is unfortunate. Yeah. So, you know, you you deal with people finding out you're from D.C. You know, you deal with a lot of sort of stereotypical reactions or reactions to the stereotype rather. Um, but the the sweet part was, you know, I was in college in my home, right. So I had. The benefits of still being connected to family, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my my aunt Joanne actually lived not too far from Howard. She used to drop off food at my dorm room all the time. You know, I love me some aunt Joanne, yeah. man. Oh yeah. man, that lady there. Um, yeah, you know, my, my mother would stop by every now and then, not quite as much because she lives a little further away. But you know, folks would folks would stop by, pick me up sometime, right, and right. wash my clothes, and you know, and then even just from kind of a like a, a slight stunt kind of standpoint, like I knew, you know, I know my city, yeah. you know. So when it came to like hanging out with friends, or, you know, hanging out with girls and stuff like that, like you I, I knew, I knew the spots. Like I knew how to how to meet a girl in a day and get a number and decide to hang out with her all day and not really spend very much money, but still show her like a great time. And I knew how to do that as a freshman. Superpower. Which it it oh man Chico. you know straight yeah, yeah. Chico, Chico you know because everybody else was doing the same little three little things you know because they were just sort of discovering the city yeah, we just found the so city. I knew the city and I had a car already I had a, a eighty four BMW bright red leather seats I had like redone the speaker system just like straight oh, custom Bose joint yeah it was a whole Ooh. you know you know so those were all the advantages of course of, right 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 of of the, being at home dirty thank you yeah. Got called. Well, the funny thing is, is that local thing must really mean a lot to them because what's wild is that I wouldn't get that at first, and then they'd find out I was from BC, and then it would be like, oh, I ain't from BC. Why do you think? I don't know. Because most of you, that's you, a, you that's know what's something wild hit to be. Hit me. I don't. It it started at Howard really, and it's it's continued since then. I don't. I grew up here, so it's never really been a thing to me. But apparently. I don't necessarily come off like I'm from DC. Like I don't, I I don't know what you know, what like that's about. Stereotypical. I guess not. With the, I don't know. The ripped black jeans, the, <laughs> the scully, 
the the locks. I don't know. And the areas and the modes and the kills. I I actually people people seem to be surprised when they find out I'm from DC. And then I ask, well, where do you think I'm from? And they never have an answer. It's always like, yeah, I don't know. Talk about that though. Talk about DC because I've <laughs> we we oh, we've had so many conversations in the last. I don't know how long, but yeah, we've yeah. talked about how DC is in this very precarious situation of not really having an identity, having an identity, no. while having an identity. Yeah, <laughs> I I think DC is like there's a lot of places you know that kind of claim to have their um, an identity right. to use your right. word. And you know every, every place kind of has its own little thing. You know Brooklyn is different from the Bronx, and of course, and <laughs> Atlanta is different from Miami, and right. you know uh, St. Charles, Louisiana is different from New Orleans. It it's is different from Monroe. You know Buffalo I get Rouge. that, but you know, but to a degree, you know, uh, the culture stays really similar across those lines. A lot of those lines, like there's. There's like a Northeast vibe, you know, right? That that everybody in the Northeast—New York, Philly, Delaware, Boston—all sort of fit into, right? Right. You know, and and then there's a Southern thing too. I remember in like early 2000s, people were saying like "Dirty South" all the time. That's was, right. There was a there was a that's right. There was a thing there, you know, whether it was Atlanta, Florida, whatever it is. There, there's a there was a a consistency there, but DC has never been included in that. Like, no, never. Yeah, like, like the Dirty South. No, DC. I didn't is, know you clap. Did you? DC is <laughs> no. DC is not allowed to be a part of the Dirty South, and the Northeast people definitely don't claim us. Nah. So, you know, we just kind of out here, yeah, figuring it out. And and I think the identity, because of that, um, DC kind of formed its own thing. That's, but it's it's funny because that thing is based on a sense of diversity. So there's like simultaneously this very distinct like DC accent and right, sort right. of DC um, presentation, like physically as far as the way people dress, right. you know, do their hair, all that kind of <clears> stuff. <throat> there's certain little things, you know, your phone posits, your Nike right, boots. Right, right, right. You know. Um, Nike boots. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I, I think Mo came after my time of, like being a teenager and being yeah, yeah, obsessed yeah. with slang or whatever, but even now, like people saying like "mo" all the time, Mo-o. like "kill mo," kill mo. Like I don't be good. Yeah, like I don't. <laughs> you know. Um, I so I mean, it's, there, there is some signature. Yeah. There's some there's some signature stuff, but I think it's also one of the places where like the more you get into it, the more you can appreciate and really see the diversity of it. In that, you can have you know. On the same block, you can walk past Kilmo, right? You know, and like the governor of Massachusetts, right? Visiting for the month, exactly. Who's never even heard anyone say Kilmo? But the funny thing is that like comes with the assumption that this Kilmo person is somehow like less intelligent or less than in some way. And the That's reality the part is, that gets me. that person might actually be like still. That person might be like the vice president of Live Nation or something. Exactly. <laughs> it's just exactly. It's and just that can like, happen in DC. All the time. I was at a um <clears throat> I was at a branding conversation yesterday at the Google offices, uh, with this cat named Taman and Gary from the Creative Theory. Um, 
and they were talking about in this new age of like branding, you got to be authentic and you got to be real, which is very true. And I find that to be so hypocritical in the mm. nation's capital. Like, how real can I actually be here in the land full of snakes? This is where the snakes reside, basically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and in their backyard, in the snakes' backyard, you find the culture of Chocolate City. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got to be. Well, the, the thing is, I, I think it's life and, and nature has a way of balancing itself out. Right. And I would dare say that I think the the setting you just created in terms of kind of being in the, the backyard of the snake, so to speak, is part of why um, people here are so, quote, unquote, real. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I've heard people say, you know, going to Howard and, and then also just traveling a lot, you know, with music or whatever, running into a lot of people who aren't from here. Yeah. I've heard several people describe, you know, uh, DC and say like yeah some of the realest people I know are from DC, DC. man like like yeah. <laughs> you know and it's it's I think that kind of happens because of the juxtaposition of you know the the sort of powers that be right being here I don't say anything too negative yeah. about them on, on record I'm you know I think government is important <laughs> and I'm glad it exists so. Um, there are people who are listening to this podcast who don't know much about that duplicitive nature of DC. So talk to me about the other side. So we know about the the snakes. Talk to me about uh, this chocolate city. Yeah, chocolate city. As I told you, like when I was a kid, I grew up in the South and the Midwest. DC was always introduced the same. Washington DC, Washington DC, comma chocolate city. Really? Every time. Every time. And I, I have a very black mother. Got a black ass mama. Yeah. So every time. And I'm not even sure she'd ever been to D.C. I'm going to ask her that next time I yeah, call her. Yeah, we need to know. I <clears> wish <throat> we could call her right now and put her I on I wish we could call Renell. But, but we don't uh, have those kind of. No, not yet. that kind of technology. We do. I just don't know how to use the plug-in yet. But Definitely. soon. Yeah. Soon. Uh, I talked to her last night. But yeah, every time she introduced it, was, it yeah. was Washington, D.C., Chocolate City, as if she wanted me to know. There was a place in America that was mostly black. And to a Midwest kid who used to get nervous at groups of 10 black people, because I'd never seen that many black people in my My yeah. first day of high school was the first time I seen more than 20 black people in the same room. And I was freaking the fuck out. <laughs> I yeah. was freaking the fuck out. Which so, is amazing, because I would say you're you're pretty, pretty, pretty black I'm now. Pretty black. You're pretty well. You're pretty engaged in your blackness. You know, it came. You know, yeah. it's it <laughs> to learn but, to be black is. is you know, that. you know. There's a really interesting, like, really, like we probably don't even have time to go into just how deep it could really go. But I yeah, think we, there's something maybe for another podcast another day. But I think it's really interesting that, um, like, so you came up in the Midwest, right? Vast minority, yep, of black people. Yep, you know, you're pretty much surrounded by all white people. Exactly. Most of the time you're in a room, only black person in the room, maybe one other one. I grew up in this area um, known as Chocolate City. Right. Uh, majority black people, um, diverse black people. Um, and you now are like very engaged in and, and aware of 
your race. Right. Um, and it's something that for me that, you know, as much as I respect the history and all of that, is just really not a major part of, um, hmm. is not a major part of, like, the things I think about and, you know, what I think about myself all the time. That's interesting. I, I think there might be something to that and in the, the idea of just, like, you know, do fish know that water is wet? Kind of, kind of thing, you know. <laughs> it's just I like, mean, growing, wow. yeah, like growing up in the ocean. Yeah. Do, do you, you know the water is wet? Do you know that water is wet? Does it mean? Does it mean anything to you? For for does it mean anything to a fish? You know, for water to be wet, or is it that somebody who kind of grew up, you know. In a in a forest with a creek in it, yeah, you got yeah. to dip in the creek every now and then. You know, water we're pretty much living for oh, water is wet. You know, I've been so it's you. You kind of get the concept. Yeah, I of definitely, what I'm, I definitely see if we could, we could jump on that and just, <laughs> we could jump on that all day because yeah, and to a sense, and we're gonna tie this back to you. I promise. Yeah. With that being said, how do you define black music? Woo, um, I define uh, a man. Let me stop. <laughs> Let me stop. Because I, I don't want to be caught recording saying nothing that I don't really feel. I don't really like the term black music, um, for one. Because I feel like, um, well, I mean, it's simple, actually. Black is a color. Right. It's a visual characteristic. It should not be used to describe music, which is a, an audio experience. Um, and I think when you start bringing other things into it, you take away the purity of the art. Um, but, you know, for the sake of argument and conversation, right? black music, um, I think the, the definition should just be expanded to being music created by black people. Right. As opposed to being a term designed to describe a very limited sort of subset of the music created by black people only including R&B and soul mm -hmm. and funk and jazz and you know there since the beginning of whenever music was happening there have been black people doing it all um being creative being beautiful and excelling right. at all kinds of stuff you know there's lots of sort of conspiracy theories that really aren't necessarily conspiracy theories that Beethoven was black yeah uh that Mozart was also black yeah um Mozart had a fate that's what i heard you know, yeah, mean face. <laughs> and so I'm not even saying that to actually speak to the superiority of black people, rather just the equal, um, the equal standing in a broader spectrum of art. You know, right. black people are not just limited to, you know, whatever the majority might do. Right. And so I, I think black music should be should refer literally only to music created by black people. But then even beyond that, I'm like, well, why do we even need to? Why does that even matter? Yeah. Like when you when you turn it on and you press play, why does it matter what color I am? I don't think it should, to be honest. So are you saying that I can't hear hindsight better because you're a black man? I'm saying me being a black man influences who I am and thusly influences how hindsight came out. Right. But I'm saying me being black and you knowing that I am black yeah. has nothing to do really with the impact of the art. Hmm. I don't, or at least I don't think it should. Now, there are some full disclaimer. Yeah, yeah. I'm speaking from a very idealistic standpoint right now. Right. And I do know that. Okay. I'm not like lost in the reality of 
where society is, of course, and of the course. fact that naturally, it it will matter. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, um, you know. So I'm I'm just I'm just speaking of you know, we're just throwing out ideas and concepts and things, and I'm, and I'm speaking of things in a perfect world if there is such a thing, you know, as I think they should be. That's all. But, yeah. But I'm you know I'm aware that of course obviously most people will hear hindsight. Thank you for mentioning the song. Everybody go get it. Um, it's a great song. Thank you, man. It's grown on me. And like I like you. <laughs> I like you. <laughs> and it's grown and it's seriously grown on me um, more. Maybe because we're getting to like the what is this, the the beginning of cuffing season. All right, before you get out of here, talk to me about the Rainbow Connection. We had a we had an unplugged performance from you to do the the Rainbow Connection. Why'd you pick that song? I don't think I've asked you that in the, in the 30 no. interviews that we've had. Uh, we've had five <laughs> shots at this interview, and that's the first time that there's the song you any relevance pointed to the video. <laughs> but we thank God for the good people at 202 Creates who sat in the room and let us know about ourselves. They sure did. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly it's, what I wanted, it's though. snatched us back to trying again. Um, but yeah, Rainbow Connection, man. It's one of my favorite songs. Always yeah. has been. Um, randomly, I like the Muppets. I'm, I, I'm, yeah, I'm a Muppets fan. Real, real quick um, on the Muppets. Yeah. I fear there's like a caveat of like pieces of culture that I think I would get lost in the cracks between generations. I fear the Muppets, one of them. I don't think that's anything to fear. I think that's already reality. It's already happened. Unfortunately, that's because like I feel like we caught the tail end yeah. of the Muppets, and oh, then yeah. after they tried to do the ABC thing, but nothing. Them and the Looney Tunes. If it wasn't for the Space Jam 2, I think the Looney Tunes would be up out of here. Nobody knows who Yosemite Sam is. No, man. I blame <laughs> the oversaturation of pop music, man. Of pop music? Yeah. Break I mean, a, a, a big part of, you know, and the, the the whole Muppets thing was like, the music was so great. You know? It was really, and it was really diverse, too. Yeah. It was like this sort of, it was like singer-songwriter before singer-songwriter was a thing. But then yeah. you also had all these like beautiful string arrangements and horns everywhere. But then you also had like like rock in yeah. there. Like you had Animal, who was yeah. a member of a rock band. And, and killing it. And, you know, yeah. you know, so, I mean, you had all of that kind of happening. And now I feel like whenever there are, um, what do you call it? Anyway, I can't think of the term. But whenever new production companies like revisit, you know, old movies and television shows like The Muppets or The Wiz, yeah, yeah. Or like that Wiz that was on NBC, though. Yeah, yeah. Or the remake of Beauty and the Beast came out right, a couple right, years right. ago. They 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 turn all the music into this, like, pop. auto-tune pop right. vibe. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, I'll be honest, as a kid, I wasn't, I wasn't sitting around listening to Stravinsky for fun, you know, so my only actual exposure initially as a young child to, like, Music with strings in it, besides Isaac Hayes, and Barry White, was, <laughs> was was you know That's so real. <laughs> was was Disney and was and, Disney, yeah. and the Muppets and yeah. you know stuff and like Looney that. Tunes. That's the first Looney time I heard classical composing right there. Oh my god, yeah, you yeah. know, and you at the time you don't necessarily know what you're listening to, but the, the stuff just kind of going into your general, you know, brain and perception, you know, it's uh, it informs you, it yeah. broadens you a little bit, it does. you know. And so for me, I think that's that was one of the things. Like I really liked the Muppets. Going back actually to your original question, because I know we we veered off a lot. I love it. Um, I like. I just like. I like that song. I've always loved that song. Um, you know, I, a lot of people don't necessarily know this. I guess from my EP. Um, but I 
I uh, I'm sort of I like folk a lot. Like I, I like sort of folk and country. I'm yeah. I'm a big like one person in a guitar, yeah. one person in a piano. I think you should like kind of kind of do lean you know? into that because that's like I love folk music. Oh man, it's so it's it's so much to it. The lyrics, the stories, the something about the the isolation of mm-hmm. the voice and being able to really hear all the nuance in it and the feeling and expression yeah. and the way people sing and stuff. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's beautiful, man. So, I, you know, thinking about like songs like, you know, Rainbow Connection, I, I think of Kermit sitting on that little rock, like, why are there so many? Like that's, you know. He let it out. That's me. my joint. And, yeah. it's, and and then as I got older, the the lyrics are pretty special. I right. think they, uh, they speak to, um, Earlier, uh, when I was saying all that stuff about like you know race and all that kind of stuff, yeah. I admitted that I was speaking idealistically. Uh, and but to be honest, I I sort of live like that a little bit. Like I, I kind of try to keep my mind in a place of why not? Like right. why can't it be better? Why can't it be great? Right. Why do I have to just live according to you know whatever happened that, or whatever limits are supposed to be in front of me? So I I, I sort of live intentionally with a certain percentage of idealistic thought. Right. And I think that song is kind of representative of that. It's it's you know, it's it kind of speaks to without like going through all the words or whatever, it starts with a question. Yeah. It's like, you know, why are there so many songs about rainbows? Which I think is sort of metaphorically addressing uh people's need for hope. Right. And and uh and you know it goes on to Second verse is like, you know, what's so amazing that keeps us stargazing, you know, what we might think we might see, and someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection. So the rainbow connection being sort of a representation of that ideal space of when we could get to a place when all colors, all races, all religions, all cultures, people, despite their uh, legitimate differences and, and, and idiosyncrasies, can actually all kind of be on the same page in, like, peace and simplicity of sitting in a pond singing a song. Right. You know? And so you just think about the rainbow, you know, not being like a gay thing, but before... It was before, before the gay Yeah, it was yeah, before yeah. the gay thing. Yeah, so yeah. it was really just rainbow. The rainbow, before it, you know, became associated with that, was um, usually something used to, right, to be a representative... Yeah, uh, yeah represent yeah, yeah. unity and hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just kind of... It kind of wraps around that whole idea of yeah. just, like... You know, it, it asks the questions of why we're not there and then sort of speaks to just looking at the possibility of, like, maybe someday we'll get there, you know. And so I I, uh, I kind of try to live like that, man. Yeah. I, you know, I, I know that I know that as black people, as as any of the other parts that make up the demographic of who I am, you know, that there are various struggles and limits and things in front of me and things that I'm supposed to care about simply because they were handed down to me to care right. about that don't necessarily affect my literal life. Right. Um but man, I, I don't I I think there is a freedom and a legitimate joy in being able to look beyond that mm-hmm. and look, so to speak, toward the rainbow. Yeah. You know, why not live your life looking toward the rainbow right. as opposed to just being obsessed with the rain. Yeah. So, you know, um Come on and be deep, brother. Come on, man. <laughs> but look, man, you yeah. got to go to rehearsal. Yeah. So let the people or the chocolatiers or the chocolate knights 
Yeah. Or the chocolate Coca-holics. nights. Coca-holics. I'm trying to ch- I'm, ch- I'm trying out different things. I Somebody think said Coca- you need to Coca-Pups. have another uh, 202 <laughs> Creates meeting about Shit. this name. <laughs> so, so these people can let you know that your no. names are trash and they need nah, work. Man. You All need right. some suggestions. No chocolate Obviously. Nights? No, that's terrible. Coca-holics? No. Can I call them Cocoa Puffs? This is, this is getting worse by okay. the minute. Okay. Yeah. But uh, Chocolate drops? Hey, everybody listening. Um, I just want to reestablish the respect of who you are because obviously... <laughs> Bemo doesn't care about your dignity. You know <laughs> um, beautiful people. Uh, my name is Michael Robinson. Uh, if you care to follow me on anything, any of that kind of stuff, you can find me at Micah D.E. Robinson. That's M-I-C-A-H-D-E-R-O-B-I-N-S-O-N. Uh, common mistake, Michael. That's not it. Micah D.E. Robinson. Not Mika. No, not Mika either. Micah. Um, yeah, so my name is Michael Robinson, Michael D. Robinson on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find my music on all uh, digital stores, streaming. Just type in Michael Robinson. Um, got a website, MichaelRobinsonMusic.com. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. It's, it's been a pleasure, man. We had Michael Robinson stop by for a special unplugged performance. We gave him two rules. Rule number one. You must perform without the use of electricity, so it's unplugged. Rule number two, you must perform a song that's not one of your originals, but definitely represents your character. To my surprise, Michael Robinson chose The Rainbow Connection by Kermit the Frog. So without further ado, the Cocoa Powder Podcast proudly presents to you a special unplugged version of Michael Robinson's The Rainbow Connection. Until next episode, stay sweet.
Thank you for listening to the Cocoa Powder Podcast. Until next episode, stay sweet. Hold on. Quiet stuff. Yo, that was one of my favorite points in life growing up when they would wrap up the daily drum and then the quiet storm music would drop. It's like one of my favorite songs. And I feel like that's the note that I should leave the mic on. Y'all be.